Wives, submit submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 34. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul wrote, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. To hear some folks talk today, you would think that these are the only three passages in all of Scripture that God told us anything about womanhood. And yet that is just not the case. And we, of course, here at the Franklin Church, we don't apologize for these verses because the Lord, God is our Lord. We're going to do things His way. If He says that this is the way He wants it done, then that's what we're going to do. And we allow these verses to govern us and what we do. We recognize that as long as Adam was first created, and as long as Eve was first deceived, as long as those two things are still the case, then these passages govern the roles within the family and the congregation. But we recognize, of course, that these passages do not talk to us about the worth or value of women. They do not talk to us about the worth or value of the sisters that are among us. They talk about roles within a family and within a congregation. We all have roles to fill, and we need to fill those roles as God has set forth in His Word. However, because these verses do not go along with the cultural ideals in our society, there are a lot of people who have started saying that the Bible is anti-woman. If these three verses were all that the Bible said about womanhood, that still would not be true. But it's even more demonstrably false by the fact that this is just a small portion of the Scripture devoted to women. And what I would like for us to do tonight is to step back for just a moment. And I would like for us to notice exactly how the Bible does portray women. We're going to take a look at a handful of the Bible women that we read. And all of these tonight are going to come from the Old Testament. But what we want to recognize is that the Scripture presents something entirely different about women than what folks are saying in the modern day. Now, yes, I do understand that the Scripture presents sinful women in a negative light. But we need to understand that's exactly the same thing it does with sinful men. Notice, for instance, in passages like Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19 and in verse 13. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 13, the Scripture there says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. And then we know Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 15. Proverbs 27 and verse 15 says, A continual dripping on a raining day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. 
We've got to understand that these passages are not talking about all women. These passages are talking about sinful women. Just like we take a look at Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 1 where it says, like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. That passage, brother, is not talking about all men. It's talking about foolish men. So yes, I understand that the Bible presents sinful women in a negative light, but it does not present righteous women of wisdom in that negative light. In fact, what we find in Scripture is that women are treated as a great source of wisdom. And I'd like to show that to you tonight. And as we conclude, we're going to notice three lessons for the sisters among us and then three lessons for the brothers among us as we learn these lessons about women of wisdom in the Scripture. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty and glorious Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We praise you because you are awesome and powerful and great. And we thank you because even in your greatness, in your almightiness, in your holiness, you have condescended to send your Son to us to die for us so that our sins could be taken away. Father, we pray that you help us to have understanding of what you have done, to devote ourselves to you, to commit ourselves to you, because you have done great things for us, and we are so unworthy. Father, we're so thankful for the sisters that are among us. They are a great source of wisdom, a great source of strength. And we pray that you would help us to understand that and to treat our sisters with honor and respect as they deserve. Father, we pray that you would help us always to live by the pattern that you have established in your word so that we might glorify you your way. Father, thank you so much for being our Father. Thank you so much for sending your Son. Thank you so much for revealing your word through your Spirit so we might honor you. Through your Son we pray these things. Amen. Just want us to take a look at some of the women, a handful of them. They're all going to be from the Old Testament. The very first one I want us to think about is Esther. Now, I'm just going to tell you, we're not going to go through and read all the stories of these ladies that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to mostly just refer to them because we know the stories. If you're not familiar with the stories, let me encourage you. When the lesson is over, I'm going to have an outline on the table. You can get the outline. You can find where the story is. You can go home and study it for yourself and see if what we've learned tonight is not what the Bible demonstrates. But when we consider women in the Scripture, could any look at the biblical women ignore Esther? What an amazing story. If you were to take a look in the book of Esther, we see the heart of the story in chapters 4 and 5. Esther has become queen of the Persians. And as she's there, an accuser steps up to accuse the Israelites. Mordecai convinces Esther that she needs to do something about it, but there in Esther 4 and 5, the first thing Esther does is, let's have a fast for three days. And then on the third day, she goes into the presence of the king and labels the accuser of her people. And at that moment when the accuser, Haman, thought he was most victorious, he was hung on his own gallows. Now, brethren, listen to the summary of that story. Do you realize what kind of picture that's telling us? Does that sound like some other great Bible story that we know? On the third day, the accuser of God's people, at the moment he thought he was most victorious, he suffered his greatest defeat. Does that sound like a Bible story that you know? Do you see the picture of Esther 
is actually a foreshadowing of the Christ, here is a female antitype of Jesus Christ. A shadow of the ultimate victory that God's people would have. The accuser is coming against his people, and on the third day, he suffers defeat. Esther is a foreshadowing of that. And so what we need to recognize about Esther, Esther was not some worthless, backwoods, valueless decoration for the, uh, to hang on the arm of the men in the story. Esther was a woman of wisdom. Esther was a woman of strength. Esther was the deliverer. What an amazing picture coming from the Bible. Let me think about women like Rahab and Ruth. And I put these two ladies together for a reason. First of all, because both of them were foreign women. That is, neither one of them were Jews. We learn about Rahab in Judges chapter 2. Here this one woman in Jericho was able to recognize what nobody else... She had the wisdom that nobody else in her city had. When the spies from Israel came into her midst, she brought them into their home. And in Judges chapter 2, she caused them to make a covenant with them so that her entire family would be saved. And in Judges chapter 6, I keep saying Judges, Joshua, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25, in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25, All of Jericho is being destroyed, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Rahab was a deliverer. Rahab was the lone wise person in the entire city. And because of her wisdom, her entire family was saved. Then, of course, we learn about Ruth in the book of Ruth. Ruth decided to follow her mother-in-law. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. Her mother-in-law was an Israelite. When Ruth's husband died, when her father-in-law died, her mother was going to go back to Israel, and Ruth said, I'm going to follow you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the entire story of Ruth is how God blessed her. But there's a reason why I've put these two ladies together. Look in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, look at how God honored Rahab and Ruth. This is the genealogy of Christ, and it's telling us who became the father of who. And Salmon, in Romans 1 and verse... uh, I'm just having a hard time with books tonight. This is Matthew. Matthew 1 and verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz became the father of Obed, by Ruth. Rahab and Ruth. These two foreign women become grandmothers of the Christ himself. The Old Testament point is quite clear. God's point through Rahab and Ruth were to the Israelites, if I will bless these foreigners because they have followed me faithfully, how much more will I bless my own people if they will turn and follow me faithfully? But what I want us to see tonight is here are Rahab and Ruth, women of wisdom, whom God blesses. What an amazing picture. Because of their wisdom, God blessed them. What a great picture of womanhood found in Scripture. But then we move on and we think about Abigail. Now, Abigail is one of those stories that probably a few of us know, but but some of us don't. We look in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, David is now fleeing from King Saul. King Saul is out to get him, so David has run away. And he's out in the wilderness with a couple of hundred of men who, who are following behind him. 
And out in the wilderness, he's actually been protecting Nabal's sheep and shepherds. And so when it comes time for the feast day, David comes up and he thinks that Nabal will just be nice and allow him to have some sheep for them to, to go through some of the feasting that they need to do. But Nabal says, are you crazy? Why on earth would I help the guy who's running away and turn his back on the king? Abigail, on the other hand, his wife, recognized the folly of what her husband had done. And she went out to David. She prepared a meal for them. And she saved Nabal from David. And she saved David from taking vengeance, which he shouldn't do. Of course, Nabal's foolishness brought down the judgment of God, and he died. Abigail became the wife to David, and of course, eventually then, the queen. Nabal, whose name means fool, was demonstrated to be a great fool. Abigail was demonstrated to be a woman of wisdom. And her husband would have done well to listen to her. What a great picture here. You see, do you see what these pictures say? These pictures are not presenting to us a, a second-class person in the world. They're not telling us that women are set there to look pretty and just look good on a man's arm. That's not what the Bible's presenting. The Bible is presenting people of strength and wisdom and righteousness who should be honored and respected for that. Here's one that I doubt you know about, unless you've just studied a great deal. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 20. We will take a look at this one. Now, this is probably one of those stories that, that unless we're just actually studying 2 Samuel, we, we don't remember this as much. In 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 18, we're told that they used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel, and so they settled the matter. You see, Abel was a city that they all recognized back in this Bible time, was a city that was filled with wise people. If you wanted to get good counsel, let's go to Abel and find out what those people there think about it, and they'll be able to give us good counsel, and that will settle the matter. But here, in 2 Samuel chapter 20, Sheba of Benjamin had rebelled against David. Joab, the commander of David's army, had made quick work of Sheba. And he had now fled to the city of Abel. Joab, therefore, has besieged the city. And he's going to destroy it. He's going to destroy the city because he wants to get a hold of Sheba. And for all the supposedly wise people in there, there was only one person that had wisdom enough to deal with this situation. And in 2 Samuel chapter 20, in verse 18, we find... Actually, let's back up. Verse 16, Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. And he came near her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled the matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab answered, Far be it from me. Far be it that I should swallow up or destroy that is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. 
here in a city that is supposedly filled with wisdom, there is one truly wise person who comes up and figures out what the problem is. You see, Joab was willing to destroy the city to catch one man. And one woman, we don't even know her name, was able to say, you know what, if we want to keep from dying here, let's find out what Joab wants. And she went back into the city, having found out that all Joab wanted was Sheba. And the people wisely followed her counsel. Sheba's head comes flying over the wall, and Joab leaves. What a picture of wisdom, wise counsel, and guidance. This is how the Bible presents women. A couple more, Deborah and Jael. This is where Judges comes into play. In Judges chapter 4, Judges chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So here's Deborah, a prophetess and a judge over Israel. God tells her to call Barak because he's going to send Barak out and they're going to have a great victory. But Barak can't handle the pressure. And so he says, I'll only come, Deborah, if you'll come with me. And Deborah says to him, well, listen, I'll come with you. But because you've done this, you're not going to receive the glory. You're not going to get to overthrow and kill Sisera, our enemy. That's going to be done by a woman. And of course, at that point, we're probably thinking it's going to be Deborah, but it's not. As we move through Judges chapter 4, we find out in about uh, verse 17, after Sisera's army is defeated and he's fleeing, and in verse 17, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, don't be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Now we have a picture of a woman as a warrior. A wise warrior, who though recognizing that physically she is weaker than this man, she uses her wisdom and her cunning to defeat him. You want water? I'll give you a little bit of milk. We all know that milk will help somebody sleep a little bit better. Then she sneaks down and grabs the tent peg and comes in and drives him to the ground. What an amazing picture of women that we find in the Bible. And then, of course, perhaps the most famous woman that we know of in the Old Testament, the Proverbs 31 woman. She has no name, but she's just a standard. But this is the kind of woman that is honored and praised in the Scripture in Proverbs chapter 31. We recognize, as the proverbialist says in verse 10, an excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels. That's how precious and valuable the women of the Bible are. More precious than jewels. She's a hard worker. She's a wise woman. She works in real estate. She knows how to deal in the marketplace, both with buying and with selling. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband praises her. Her works praise her in the gate. The gate, that, that center of the city life where the elders would gather. 
They're the ones praising her, the elders of the city, because of the wisdom and righteousness that she has. Do you see the picture? We could look at more. We, we haven't seen all the women of the Old Testament. We haven't even looked at any of the women of the New Testament. We could talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Or we could talk about Mary Magdalene. We could talk about Mary and Martha. But did you see, as, as we take a look at just this handful of pictures, the Bible picture of womanhood is not one of second-rate citizenry. It is not one of a lack of value and worth. It is a picture of wisdom and strength that needs to be honored and respected. And as we consider that picture, I'd like for us, as I said earlier, to take a look at some lessons that we can gain from this. I'd like for us to notice three lessons for the sisters that are here tonight. As we take a look at this biblical picture of womanhood, there are three things, sisters, that I would like for you to learn from this. Number one, pursue righteousness. You see, these women that we've talked about here, they're not the woman of Proverbs 19.13 and Proverbs 27.15. They're not the quarrelsome and contentious wife who is like a continual dripping. These were women who sought righteousness. These were women who sought to please and serve God. And because of that, they served others. And God blessed them. And God honored them. If you want to be the kind of women that the Bible lifts up and honors and praises as a source of wisdom and counsel and strength, then you must pursue righteousness. Otherwise, well, otherwise you're not the kind of women that God praises. Secondly, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. If you consider some of these women that we just talked about, Esther, a woman of wisdom. But if you think about Abigail, her husband was a fool, but she was wise. The wise woman of Abel. The Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, take a look at the Proverbs 31 woman and notice some things that are said there. In Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. If you want to be the kind of woman that God praises, that the Bible holds up in high esteem, then you need to be able to open your mouth with wisdom. You're going to have to seek wisdom. I look back at verse 16. We talked about those business dealings she had. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She considers. She thinks about it. She doesn't act rashly. She doesn't act on the spur of the moment. She thinks about it. She considers. She is moved by wisdom. Not by rash emotions. And so if you want to be the kind of women that God upholds, that God praises, that children rise up and bless, that husbands praise their name, and they're talked about greatly in the gates, then you've got to be women who pursue righteousness and women who seek wisdom. And thirdly, be a helper. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we know the overarching principle for which the woman was created. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Bible there says, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Be the helper that God intends you to be. Take a look at these women that we've just talked about. Esther was submitting to Mordecai. Rahab was trying to save her family. Ruth was submitting to her mother-in-law. Abigail was trying to save her husband. The wise woman of Abel was trying to save her city. Deborah and Jael 
were serving the people of Israel. In the Proverbs 31 woman, it says she does good to her husband all the days of his life. None of these women were seeking their own glory. None of them. They were all seeking to help others. And because of that, God glorified them. Be a helper. But most of all, wives, be the helper to your husband that God has asked you to be. This is the kind of woman that God upholds. And when God sees women like that, He lifts them up. He honors them. He praises them. He talks about their worth being above rubies and more precious than jewels. These are the kind of women He says, they're not just some type of decoration to look pretty on a man's arm. They're a source of wisdom and counsel and strength and power. Honor and praise them. If you want to be that woman, pursue righteousness, seek wisdom, be a helper. But now there's some lessons for us, men. Lessons for the brothers that we need to think about, especially those of us brothers who are married or who plan to be married. Three things that we learn from this biblical picture of womanhood. Number one, respect your wife's wisdom. Respect your wife's wisdom. Men and women, are you ready for this? Are different. And we're not just talking physically. Men and women perceive differently. Men and women think differently. Men and women communicate differently. Men have a tendency, and this is not absolute, this is just in general. I know that there are some men that, that are a little bit different, and there are some women that are a little bit different. But in general, when we take a look, and, and I, I don't know of any better way to say this, and I hope you understand this, this is not meant to be a compliment to men and a slam to women, as it's so often put out today, because I'll tell you, one of the problems today is folks have been trying to uplift women by making them more like men. Women, you're not going to be better in God's eyes by becoming more like us. You're going to be better when you do things the way God made you to do them. So remember that. But when men have a tendency, and I'm glad Marita's not here, but men have a tendency to be more logical. Okay? Women have a tendency to be more intuitive. Now please understand what I mean by that. What I mean is not that women have a tendency to be illogical. What I mean by that is that men have a tendency to see point A, and they figure, oh, well, that leads to point B, and that then produces conclusion C. Whereas women, they drink in a bigger picture. They see things that we don't ever see, things that I don't even notice. My wife catches, and it all gets into her brain, and she kind of somehow amazingly comes up with the right answer most of the time. It's called a woman's intuition. And sometimes you might ask a woman, well, why do you think that? And she'll just say, oh, I really don't know. And we men have a tendency to discount that. And the sad part is you women do too because some of you are out there mad because I said men are logical and you're intuitive. Alright? Because our society has trained you to think that being logical is being better and that's not the case. Being logical is being more like a man. How many of you women really want to be like us? Alright? Women are intuitive. Let me illustrate. How logical was it for Nabal to help David? In 1 Samuel chapter 25. David's rebelling against the king. That is the most stupid thing anybody could ever do. Here's the king, and here's the guy that's rebelling to him, and I'm going to feed him? 
that is a one-way ticket for the king to bring his men out and kill me. That is not logical. Point A is David's rebelling against the king. Point B is if I help David, that means I'm rebelling against the king. Conclusion C is the king will kill me. It's illogical. But Abigail was able to like, was able to see a better picture, a bigger picture. And intuitively, she realized that her husband had made a big mistake. Nabal's name means fool. He was logical, but he was foolish. He would have been a lot better off if he had called his wife in and said, listen, I need to get some counsel from you on this. What, what should we do about David? Things would have been a lot different for him. Men, we've got to learn that we cannot discount our wife's wisdom because it is different. You see, the, the problem that often happens is, is because our wife says, this is what I think you should do. And we say, well, why do you think that? And her response a lot of the times, guys, have you ever heard it? Well, you know, I really don't know. I just have a feeling. Any of you men ever experienced that? Now, not 100% of the time, but you know what? A lot of times their feeling is right. Because it's almost supernatural. They see things that we don't see. And it gets in there and it helps them pull out wisdom. Now, yes, men, I know that we're the leaders. In the end, we make the decision. But we've got to learn to respect our wife's wisdom just because it is different from ours doesn't mean it is foolishness. And guys, I just want you to remember in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20. Take a look at this. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, he raises his voice. Is that what yours says? Mine says she raises her voice. Now guys, I just got to tell you, I think we need to take a stop and look at this. That when God decided to personify wisdom, he chose a woman. Brothers, we have got to learn to respect our wives' wisdom. Secondly, men, we've got to learn to seek our wife's counsel. Again, how would the story have been different if Nabal had backed up and gone to his wife and said, what do you think we should do about David? The city of Abel? They only found deliverance when they sat back and listened to the wisdom of the wise woman. Yes, men, I recognize that, you know, we have a problem. We're the men. We're the leader. I make the decision from beginning to end. That's my job. You just stay two steps behind and follow me. Listen, I know that some folks are married to that sinful woman of Proverbs 19.13. And so I understand there are exceptions to this, but, but, but let's look around us here. We're dealing with Christian women who are striving to serve the Lord. And they were smart enough to marry us. They've got to have some wisdom. Let's seek their counsel. Proverbs chapter 12. And verse 13. Verse 15, excuse me. Proverbs 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice, or a wise man seeks counsel. A fool just does what's in his own mind. A fool stays strictly in, I'm going to do it my way. A wise man seeks counsel. Men, as we seek counsel... 
Let's seek counsel from the helper that God has given us. From our wife. In the end, men, we're the leaders. We make the decision. And just because we've sought counsel doesn't mean, sisters, that we will always do what you have said. Because sometimes we might decide that you're mistaken. And that's just going to happen at times. But at least at that point, we've gotten the counsel. And we're able to hear all sides of it. And then able to make a decision based upon that. Because you see, the fool, men, is the one who doesn't seek counsel. And as we avoid folly, why don't we go ahead and seek the counsel of the biggest helper God has given us? So men, we've got to respect our wives' wisdom. We've got to seek our wives' counsel. And the third thing is, let your wife be the helper that God intended her to be. Remember we read Genesis 2.18, God made the woman to be a helper for the man. Sadly today though, most men read that helper and they think it says lackey or slave. They've got the idea that what that passage means is that God has made us men to pursue our dreams and our goals and then He's given us women and children to go and do the dirty work to get there. And that's not what that means. That's not what that means at all. Look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, we're told what our headship means. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Our role as headship is to sacrifice ourselves for our wives and our families. It's not to be the Lord and tyrant who sends them around to do all our dirty work. It's to sacrifice ourselves in order to serve them. Do you see that the family was not given to us men in order to accomplish our goals and dreams? Our family was given to us so that we could serve them and sacrifice for themselves, not doing what we want most, but doing what's best for our family. And when we're pursuing that goal, it just makes sense to allow the wife God has given us to be our helper. Don't make your wife a pawn. Let her be the partner God had intended. Yes, men, we're the heads. We'll make the decisions. We'll give the account for it in the end. But when you give account to God, don't you want to be able to say, I received wise counsel from the great wife that you gave me. Let your wife be the helper that God intended her to be. You know, I'll tell you, when I think about this, it makes me think of Titus chapter 3, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where it talks about the qualification of elders. And it says that he has to be the husband of one wife. Why, why is that, you, you think? Well, it's because the man has to demonstrate that he can keep his household in subjection. No, actually the text goes on to tell us that's why he has to have kids. Is it perhaps that the elder must be the husband of one wife because a man without a woman has incomplete wisdom? Just something to think about. See, brethren, what we learn from the Scripture is that, that women are not second-rate citizens. The Bible is not anti-woman. The Bible is very pro-woman. In Scripture, women are a source of wisdom and power and strength. We recognize the role that God has given sisters in the family and in the congregation. We understand that. Let us always remember, sisters, 
Pursue righteousness. Seek wisdom and be a helper. And brothers, respect your wife's wisdom. Seek her counsel and allow her to be the helper that God intended. Honor and respect her that way.